Welcome back to another week of the podcast. I feel like I need a new intro, but I don't I don't know what it's going to be yet. Like I feel like every time I do this little intro before the conversation, it's always the same. And maybe that's a good thing, but I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, you need to spice things up, but I don't know how. But anyway, happy mom day. Happy Monday. Happy beginning of a new week. I am sad. I'm sad about it being Monday tomorrow. I'm recording this obviously on Sunday. I've got a bit of the Sunday scaries today. I don't really want to go back. I really enjoyed this weekend. Tons of outside time. Father's Day today. Just like a really nice day with me and the kids and Chris. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like sad that I have to go back into the office tomorrow, but you know, it is what it is. Adulting sucks, but you know, someone's got to pay the bills, right? Anyway, so today, speaking of bills, today's episode is all about money. And I wanted to have this person on because I feel like, especially now more than ever, Maybe some of us need help budgeting. You know, the cost of living is like insane. Gas prices are insane. So I, this, literally this episode just couldn't have come at a better time. So who is my lovely guest today? I have Liz from Ambitious Parenting. You may know her more from Ambitious Adulting on Instagram. So who is she? Liz is a personal finance mentor who teaches Canadians the basics of money management, budgeting, and investing. Liz is super passionate about financial literacy because as a teen, she struggled with anxiety attacks every time she thought about paying a bill, paying for tuition, and the cost of living. If that's not relatable, I don't know what is. Liz has presented to schools and companies all across Canada and is now working to help families take control of their finances. This episode was really eye-opening for me. Liz really taught me the basics of budgeting. Like, I don't know if you guys are like me, which I'm sure a lot of you are, but, you know, we can write down our budget and we know like, okay, at the end of each month, we're going to have this much money left over to put into savings and this much money left over to like, you know, free spend. And we never see it. (laughs) Like, And I hear this all the time from so many moms, like, you know, I should have a thousand dollars left over after everything is paid or something. But like, I live paycheck to paycheck. Like, I have no idea what it is that I'm doing wrong. Well, thanks to Liz and the advice that she gives in this episode, I figured out what I'm doing wrong. And yeah, it sucks. (laughs) It sucks. But, you know, it is what it is. And I have a little bit better idea of where my money is going now. So I really hope this episode gives that to you. We're talking about budgeting. We're talking about maternity leave. We're talking about investing and saving and so much, especially, you know, we're kind of pinpointing towards moms because we all know your finances change significantly once you have a family. There's different expenses, unexpected expenses, days off of work, maternity leave, all the good, wonderful things that, you know, children bring to our plate when we have them. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Go give Liz a follow at Ambitious Parenting or at Ambitious Adulting on Instagram. 
and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey, Liz, welcome to the Honest as a Mother podcast. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about money. I know money is like the scary, most like taboo conversation out there. And but I think it's a really important one, especially once you've got kids in the household. And I don't know about you, but I've just found like since becoming a mom, like prioritizing where my money's going, if the bills are being paid are much more important rather than, you know, when you're like in your early twenties and you're like, I don't care. I'll pay my bills late as long as I can get to the bar tonight. Right. Like your priorities shift. Oh yeah. And also, I mean, I was in a good place where we had room in the budget after income to have savings. And now with daycare costs and all these additional fees, it's really kind of looking at your accounts and be like, am I even saving anything anymore? Or like, what's going on? And so that's where I'm at right now being like, how much can I save and how much can I invest now that I have a baby? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 100,000%. And as we grow, like, before the whole arch of like figuring it out, I felt like was it kind of worked. But now that I have kids, like if my roof leaks, I need to have savings in my account. Like I have kids, it's going to rain on. Okay. It's mm-hmm. not just like, you know, I can figure it out and make a plan and figure it out later because my husband and I will just live with it. Now you have kids. So it's like your whole priority shift. And I also found like my money mindset shift, my whole thoughts around money shift. And then I've also realize through through all of this like also we we don't actually have a freaking clue what we're doing so in walks Liz and (laughs) you're gonna help us through all of this so I want to talk I want to start with maternity leave because I'm not sure if you think um, I know previously we've talked about like there is a difference between women who are self-employed wanting to go on a maternity leave maybe they do maybe they don't And then there's also a difference when you're talking someone, let's use me as example, who has, you know, I'm a healthcare worker, I work in the hospital, so I have access to a paid year long or 18 month long uh, maternity leave. However, the pay for mat leave is crap. So you can also be in a position where you would like to take the maternity leave and you're lucky to have access to it, but it's still, it doesn't pay your bills. Like, I'm sorry, but a thousand dollars, it was 1050 because I was at the maximum. So I got $1,050 a month. I don't know whose bills that's paying, but not mine. No. And honestly, if you are self-employed and didn't pay into EI, which most of us self-employed people don't pay into EI, we get zero. So we have to figure out you know, what, how we would even get a thousand dollars or how we would even get anything. Then there's like those unicorn people. And I always find them in healthcare who get top-ups. So they get EI and then their employee top-up. So I don't know who those are, but I, okay, well, there you go. That's pretty good. It's for, uh, I got a top-up for six months. So I'm not sure if that's like across the board, Um, I only took a year. So my husband and I only really had like to figure it out, quote unquote, for six months. But um, people that take 18 months or people that don't have the top up, like, again, $1,000 a month, $0 a month, like, what? Yeah, yeah, no, I know. And uh, I mean, I always am so grateful we live in Canada, because like many of us 
moms or parents, we go online for the answers. And so many of the forums are American, especially in the personal finance world. Like I remember when I started learning about saving, budgeting, investing a decade ago is when I really was like, I got to figure this out because I was so stressed out about money. So I started Googling, you know, how do I save more? How do I make more money? And it took me down the personal finance rabbit hole, which was mostly American. And I stayed in that rabbit hole for like two years. And then I realized I should be looking for Canadian specific resources. And there weren't that many at the time. So that's why I started my blog, Ambitious Adulting. But the same thing is at maternity leave information, like so much of it is American. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, like these moms are like, ladies, like how did you guys pump at work three weeks postpartum? I'm like, three weeks? Like, right. what? Yeah, that is actually mind blowing to me because I struggle that 12 months to go back. So I know even some women I've podcasted with, when we talk about maternity leave, if they're from the US, it's like, I'm not even going to say anything. I, I know. I, I feel like that too. Even as a self-employed right? person, I'm like, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because no one is forcing me to go back and I'm not going to lose my job. And it's totally different, but I'm like, mm-hmm, zip it. Like <laughs> we're pretty good regardless of our situation. Absolutely. So something that is kind of coming up to me right now too, and I don't know if you have any advice for any of the moms that are listening, but like, so that leads me to the conversation of like, I feel like some moms teeter in this area of like, do I go back to work so that I can provide for my household or do I I think going back that early too, even 12 months sometimes can really screw with us, right? Because we don't want to leave our baby or we're really anxious about putting them in daycare or, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Or I also know there is so many of us, oh my God, like even my Instagram community, so many of them that I've spoken to that are like, I literally would have made enough money to pay for daycare yeah. and then nothing else. So what's the point of going back to work? Like, how do you help people like navigate through that? Like what makes most sense, I guess, in your opinion? Oh, it's so personal, but I'm not a numbers person. Ironically, I'm a money coach and I work with people in their finances, but I hate math. I'm not good at math. And I use spreadsheets and apps for everything. And that's the beauty of technology. Like you don't have to be a math person. There are tons of calculators online, you plug in your numbers, but the most important thing is really knowing your numbers. So how much income do you make? And if you have a partner, what is the combined household income? So that's like one of the key numbers that you need income after tax, because that's really the money that you have and that you can spend. So your salary is one thing. And then depending on how many taxes you have, and if you pay into union fees, like, you know, just figure out how much you're bringing home. The next number you need to figure out is how much money do you spend a month on average on two things. One, your fixed expenses. So these are your bills and two, your variable expenses. So these are expenses that go up and down. They can be going out uh, for dinner, ordering in, getting your hair done, all that extra stuff. That variable expense is where the wiggle room comes from on how much you can save. Um, It's either spend less on variable or, you know, it's kind of hard to spend less on your fixed expenses because your bills usually are set. There's a little bit of room to negotiate, but the biggest difference is going to be in your variable expenses. And 
So once you know those numbers, your take home income and then your expenses, variable and fixed, then it's really sitting down and crunching the math. And if you're not a math person, don't stress out. There's calculators online that can help you figure out, okay, what's your savings rate? And if you have a healthy savings rate, so maybe you're saving 500 or $1,000 a month, start really creating that extra padding for your mat leave fund. And that will help you decide, okay, maybe I can afford to stay home a little longer because I have this extra savings account. If there's no wiggle room at all, that's you know, another conversation to be like, listen, we're not saving anything at all. And like, I need to go back to work. And that's the math behind it. But we've talked about the emotional decision making process, that sometimes mathematically, something doesn't make sense. So it might not make sense to stay home. But if you're miserable all day, you're going to work, you're sad because you, for whatever reason, you hate your job, you hate your boss, you miss your kids, you want to stay at home. How, what is the benefit of being miserable all the time, but making a little bit of money, especially if you're only able to save maybe a hundred dollars a month at the end of the month, or not even able to save at all. Like there is this, um, you know, non-quantifiable cost of being a stay-at-home parent. And that, if you added up how much work you did and, you know, how much you would be paid for all these hats that you wear, you you can consider yourself making income even though there's nothing to show for it on paper. Yes. And that is something that I feel like is so not recognized. Like, I mean, obviously I think we're all aware of it, but on the flip side of things right now. So my husband, I don't think I've told you this. He works Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's home with my kids Monday to Thursday. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a kind of convenient arrangement. Yes. This was like handed to us on a shiny silver platter right before I went back to Matt leave. We were going to be spending like, I don't know, 15 grand a year on daycare to, uh, I think last year I paid, I don't know, like $4,000 in daycare. <laughs> so thank you to uh, Lowe's because that is my husband works for the distribution center and they have this amazing shift available. So that like the value of him being here, especially since the pandemic. Mm, oh my is, gosh. Yeah. Right. Like no, our lives did not change. And obviously we can't expect that had to happen for everybody. But like, sometimes I, I see, I hear what you're saying is like the value of staying home, being that partner who can be there for the kids when they need to be picked up, pick them up from school, take them to school or daycare, you know, be home to start dinner or throw in the laundry or whatever it may be. That person actually, in my opinion, is more valuable. Like, I think my husband brings more to the table than I do, even though it's not in a dollar figure. And he is he loves it. He thrives in it. So I think if that is your thing, I think if emotionally it's better for you to stay home, then I think exactly what you're saying, like, say you can just make it with you working, like maybe there is a way that you could sort things out, wiggle things around, like you were saying, and emotionally you're happier and financially you guys can still be okay. Yeah, and you also brought up a good point about shift work. A lot of people are scared to change 
jobs or change careers because they've worked in a company for 10 years, they have good seniority and all this stuff. But especially now with this great, um, what, is, what are they calling it now with the pandemic that everyone's quitting? Oh, there's the a great term. resignation. The great resignation, yes. There is so many opportunity out, there is so much opportunity out there right now. Um, and there is shift work available and maybe, Maybe it's a job that you're like, wow, I'm overqualified for this, but you can do it evenings or you can do it just a few shifts here, here and there. And that might be something that you can work out. So thinking outside of the box, being creative, um, that is how we get by. And the worst feeling is being stuck and finances really make people feel stuck. And I remember feeling stuck so many times and I hate being in that mindset. So if you're in that mindset, just know that there are lots of options, lots of solutions and lots of different ways of life that you can kind of navigate towards. Mm -hmm. I also find that mindset, like for me anyways, and just knowing a little bit about your story, I feel like this does kind of fit into your world as well. Like sitting in that mindset can really make your mental health struggle, right? Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah you can feel not good enough and just really go down that really dark rabbit hole. Like as if moms don't already not feel good enough, like let's add not going back to work. And then, you know, people saying she doesn't work or doesn't have a job or she's lazy or whatever, or you do work, but you still can't get by because things are just a little bit crazy. Should we say like inflation? Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> moms, I feel like are all doing everything that they can to be a good mom, a good wife, um, a good friend, a good worker, like to provide for their household, however they can. But, you know, finances can really make your mental health go down the tubes real fast. Oh yeah, I know. And, and when I'm not well mentally, my parenting suffers. I'm impatient. I'm irritable. I'm annoyed. I have anxiety. I have rage. And obviously that's not a good state to be in when I'm trying to raise my child. So I like to really focus on taking care of myself. And I know it's super cliche, like, you know, put your mask on first, but I've burnt out so many times in my career. I've started two businesses. I've been hustling and investing since I was 18. Like I've put my body through so much long out, like so many long hours and so much intensity that I know how important it is to take care of myself because my immune system reacts immediately. Everything just trickles if I'm not taking care of myself. And so I really take that seriously now. Um, yeah. So just like including my finances, like I want my finances to be in order. I want passive income streams to be happening. I want my accounts to be automated. I want to know exactly what's happening with my money and my partner's money. That way I don't have to be using that mental energy and I can really focus on being a good parent uh, because it requires so much work to just like meal plan and clean 30 times a day. And you know, all the tasks involved in parenthood, I need to focus on those and make sure that I can have as much other stuff on autopilot, including my finances. Mm -hmm. No, I agree because I think we've all been there too, where it's like, especially I remember like early postpartum, like, I don't know if this rings a bell to you, but I can remember, I know, right. No one can see us, but like, the face. or I had such a struggle. Like I could not, 
I would be so annoyed on social media because I'm like, why is everyone happy? Like, I'm so miserable. Yes, this is really hard. <laughs> yeah. But like, can you remember even thinking something like, because we had this big thing happen where we've had a baby and then the bills would come in and I'd be like, I still have to pay you? Like, really? Okay. Like, so I'm just thinking like the mom brain thing, right? Like, so if you can put your energy into not having to like focus, focus, focus on finances so much or have things automated, like you were saying, then like, you know, you'll never have a moment where you're like, oh damn, the internet's gone. Did I forget to pay it? Did I forget it? I don't even know when the last time we paid it was, you know? And I hear that one too many times from so many people. Like I forgot to pay my cell phone bill. I forget to pay this bill. I forget to pay that bill. And like, we're moms, we're in 800,000 things all day long. I think sometimes forgetting a bill, I don't know about you, but sometimes the when they started doing paperless, that was, that was rough for me for a little bit. Oh no, I'm an automated online girl. Like everything comes out. And this is, this is one of the tricks that I guess I show people is automate as much as possible. And what I do is I have a savings account or a bank account that's just for bills. And I have a set amount of money in there all the time. So it's always getting topped up so that it's always at, I think it's around like $2,000. This so account is just for bills. Does this Okay. So this is for like your fixed expenses in your home, like yeah. your mortgage so, and all of your utilities and stuff will come out of this particular account. Yes. Okay. And then it's automatically topped up to $2,000. So, and so when you say automatic, constantly. is it something where like, I know sometimes you can set bank accounts where it's like, okay, this on this day, every of the month, this amount of money goes into this account. So you don't even have to remember to move the money over. Like the money is just moving and then being paid and you don't think about it. Exactly. I, everything okay. is automated. My savings, my investing, my bills, but this took a lot of understanding or cash flow. So how much mm. money is coming in, how much money is going out. And then I set up systems so that everything is automated. And they've never failed me, um, but I've been doing it for five years automatically. So, you know, it takes a little okay. bit of time to get used to it. And you for really sure. just need to have that clarity on what are your bills? When do they come out? How much money mm -hmm. should I have in this account so that there is enough and I don't go into overdraft? Okay, so we are going to use me as an example, because as I was telling you yesterday, my husband and I have sat down and done like the budget. We don't do anything like you're saying. And I think when I get off the off of this call, me, I'm going to go upstairs and tell my husband that that's what we need to do, because that sounds like a dream anyway. But so say I'm a first time person coming to you and I want to create a budget for my family. Like, are you able to break this down a little bit for us so we can figure out even I know that might be a, a, a large question, but even if we could simplify a little bit, like how would you tell someone let's start a really simplified budget so that your bills are paid, your family has food on the table and you've got some money going into a savings account. Yeah. So there's two systems and I like spreadsheets and I, I know a lot of people don't, but I find them super useful, super beneficial, and it's easier to crunch the numbers like that. Even if you're not a math person, a spreadsheet person, because people automatically are like, oh, I don't know how to do that. And it's like, no, trust me, you just need the basics. But one thing I do is give people um, a spreadsheet that I developed and they fill in the information of the last three months expenses. Ideally, the last six months is a better average, but three months to start just to kind of get an understanding of how much you spend on average. 
The other way to do this is to connect to a third party app like Mint or You Need a Budget or any of those kind of third party apps that connect to your bank account and they pull all the information for you and then you go in and clean it up. So those are two easy ways, but regardless, you need a system that gives you a financial audit. So look into your bank accounts, um, upload them, track the expenses and if you use cash, it's a little bit trickier because now you have to like go find your receipts and figure out where you spent money. So that's why I like putting everything on debit or credit because it's just easier to track and I rarely use cash. So that's one of the things. And then it's really figuring out those numbers. Okay, how much did you pay last month in bills, including your mortgage, your internet, your cell phone, all that stuff. That's essentially what you would have in one account for the month. So say your fixed expenses come to $2,500, you can do it a few ways. If you can swing it, keep $25 in an account every single month because that's where the pool of money is going to be depleted from for your bills. Or the other thing to do is figure out when these bills are taken out um, if you do it automatically. So like my, my mortgage is bi-weekly. So it's like half the mortgage payment on the 15th and the other half on the 30th. So that's a little bit more math involved so that uh, you have less money in that account. It's a little easier for cash flow, but you have to know the dates that everything is coming out on. So right. I don't really do it that detailed because I like to just have a big chunk sitting in that account and then it just gets depleted. Well, that makes month. sense. And that sounds easier. Like if my fixed expenses are $2,100 and I throw $2,500 in, I know, give or take, you know, a bill is higher or whatever, then there's some wiggle room in there, right? Like generally exactly. our bills are the same, but stuff like your hydro, your gas or whatever, they, they can go up. Yeah. Or you can do uh, the, uh, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's an automatic payment. Prorated. Equal billing. Yeah. Equal billing. Yeah. Yeah, equal billing. It's like a prorated yeah. thing. So mine is yes. the equal billing. So I try to keep my fixed expenses fixed every month. So I know exactly what it is. And then once a year, they, they kind of adjust. If you owe more, you owe less. Right. Yes. And I do think that is like a little tip for anyone who lives like in Ontario, because I didn't know you could do that with your hydro bill. Like we haven't done it yet. Um, just because of the fixed, uh, the number that they gave us was actually higher than any, like, it just didn't seem like we were, mm -hmm. we were like, no, 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 that this works. However, I do think in the summertime when we've got the air conditioning on and you know, you're running way more water and stuff, it might work, but I also don't know that people are actually aware that you can do that. So yeah, listen, hot tip. listen, ladies, hot tip. You can do that. So I love it. We Untied. do it for gas. <laughs> Oh yeah. This is the world we live in. I'm like, how much do we pay for gas? $58 a month, baby. I yeah. know I do. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and then honestly, that's the easiest way to budget because I don't like giving myself and my family a budget. Like you get a hundred dollars for groceries or which is unrealistic, but you know, like you get $50 for your, I don't know, getting your nails done or whatever. Like what my system is, it's called the guilt-free money system. And pretty much it says that fixed expenses. And then I include saving and investing as a fixed expense. So just like you pay your credit card, sorry, just like you pay, um, yeah, your credit card bill, your cell phone bill, your internet bill, I pay myself first. So I make sure that I'm investing a certain amount each month um, and saving a certain amount each month. After that, whatever is left over, I can spend it on whatever I want. So if I wanna order in every single day of the week, that's fine. 
because my savings are covered, my investments are covered, and my bills are covered. And because I'm self-employed, our income is variable. So sometimes we only have $1,000 left over. Sometimes we have a lot more left over. And I can choose to save and invest more. Or if I wanted to blow all the extra $1,000 that month, that's fine because everything else is covered. So right. it's just so a lot easier. You have the freedom too. So it's almost yeah. like in a way that's financial freedom, right? Like when you're, yeah, and I'm not, I don't you, feel any guilt. I don't feel any right. guilt when I spend it because I'm like, why? I'm already you're not saving taking away from anything. Exactly. Yes. Okay. I like that. That's super simple. Actually. Thank you. I'm, I wrote down a couple of tips that I have here. Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's up to you to decide like how much you want to save and invest if you can afford to save and invest at the end and add that to your fixed and then yeah, whatever's left over do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. I love this. Okay. I also wanted to talk to you about, which goes hand in hand with the budget, the importance of knowing what is happening with your money. I know like literally everyone I talk to, they're like, I, I don't know where all my money goes to. I know we make this much per month and I know we have this much in bills. I uh, don't know where all the rest of our money is because we're living paycheck to paycheck. I hear this all the time, especially so from other moms I talk to. I'm sure you do too. And so I know I'm guilty of it too. I, I couldn't tell you where all of our extra money goes. I know we're supposed to have it and I know we don't. So let's talk about that. Well, it all goes back to getting that financial audit. So you have clarity and a bird's eye view on like, where did that money even go? Because maybe it mostly went to fixed expenses and you actually aren't spending that much frivolously because there's only $200 left at the end of the budget and that's groceries or that's, you know, two nights out or whatever. Like maybe you, you don't know until you know, and the data doesn't lie. <laughs> there is right. a trail. There's a paper trail of where you spent that money. Even if you use cash, there's a paper trail or, you know, your memory or your phone, like some, you can figure out, like, I feel like a detective, like I could figure out, like, give me your phone. I'll figure out where you were based mm -hmm. on like your geolocation. And I'm like, oh, it looks like you were walking up Ottawa street all day. Like you probably spent your money there. So mm -hmm. the first thing is sitting down with your family, with your partner, whoever, maybe it's just you inputting the last three months of expenses and your income and really understanding the patterns. There are some banks that have this feature built in that lets you kind of look at charts of your spending. I find them a little bit inaccurate because the categorization like is kind of off sometimes. That's why I like mm -hmm. spreadsheets because you can really manually correct anything and input anything. But yeah, that's really where it comes down to. Like you need to have a system and once you do the grunt work and the leg work of establishing that system. Every month is just touch-ups. So it's just like looking at it every every month, looking at your spreadsheet or your budget or whatever you want to call it for like five to 10 minutes, just to kind of see like, okay, are we on track? Like, where did we spend this month? Because the setup is already done, whether you use a spreadsheet or a third-party app, the setup is the most time-consuming and the most annoying, but then the upkeep is, easy. Okay. No, that's, that's great advice. What, so I know earlier you had said there was a couple of apps that you would recommend. Can you tell us what those were again? Just cause I think 
sometimes when people look on their apps, like some don't look as trusting as others. So what are some that you recommend your clients to, or just anybody in general? Yeah, I use Mint. So I was a spreadsheet girl for five years and I loved my spreadsheet. I was like, I will never leave you. I gave my spreadsheet to hundreds of people. I was like, here, use it. Trust me, this works. But with a rental property, with my husband and I combining incomes or sorry, combining accounts with the baby on the way, I was like, I do not have time for this. So now I use Mint and it's a free app. And I signed up for Mint like six months before I started using it. And I, I, this happens all the time with people. They start, they're like, okay, yeah, I need to start investing or I need to start saving. They sign up for something. It's overwhelming. It looks confusing. There's too many weird charts. You're like, I don't know what this means. And you take a break and you don't do it. And then Mm -hmm. something reminds you. So maybe this is the reminder. This is your sign to be like, oh yeah, I've been wanting to do that. I went back to it six months later. I was like, okay, let me just figure out how to do this. Watched a quick YouTube video with like a little tutorial to tell me like where the buttons were and how to figure it out. And now it's so easy. I have it on my app, on my phone. It's like, it's so easy. And I'm like, I can't believe it took me five years to finally get on a third party system. I think too, sometimes like we're afraid of change, right? Like, or even maybe we're afraid to actually dive in to see how much we spend on things like this. I'm holding a Starbucks cup in my hand. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes you're like, holy crap. Like I spent $400 on eating out this, this past month. And you don't always think that you spend that much just because you like bought a coffee here and lunch here. It adds up. up, right? Yeah. And so I think some of us are afraid of it. It's like, I don't really know that I want to download that app because it's change. And then it's also going to tell me what I'm doing wrong. But when it comes to finances, I think there's never a wrong way. It's just like, you're trying to kind of create a new habit, new patterns for yourself, which actually in the long run will benefit yourself and your, and your family. Oh, a hundred percent. I work with so many people are like, I can't save. And I'm like, let me see your budget. And then we look at it and I'm like, well, you spent $400 on alcohol last month. So I'm not here to judge. Maybe you like had a party and I don't know what the reasons are, but in theory, you can save. You just need Mm. to either make sacrifices. You need to readjust your budget. You need to really focus on your priorities. And if your priority is saving, you will find the money to save because you're going to be taking it away from that liquor fund. But if that is not your priority, your budget will not lie. The budget will tell me what the priority is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. No, I love it. And like you said earlier, the numbers, they, they don't lie. So no, <laughs> it's easy. Unless there's fraud and someone took money away from your account. Without <laughs> yeah, then we're going to, then, then we got to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And lastly, before we wrap it up, how would somebody work with somebody like you? Like, what is it? I, I guess like that a money coach can provide to families. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways money coaches work. So there's financial coaches, there's financial advisors. I am a money coach. So I don't manage anyone's monies. I don't tell anyone where to invest. What I do is give people the clarity and let people ask questions that they think they're they're embarrassed to ask. They're like, I don't want to look at my money. I don't even know what a budget is. Like, don't worry, you don't have to be embarrassed. And I do a little bit of one-on-one coaching um, with 
families and single people and whoever, uh, mostly Canadians, but, and then I also have online courses. So my specialty is teaching people how to start investing. And a lot of times people want to jump straight into investing, but they have no idea if they even have disposable income at the end of the month to invest. I'm like, yes. no, you got to focus on your bills, your day-to-day -day expenses and make making your everyday finances come to order. Um, before you start diving into investing. Yes. I think a lot of times too, you hear a lot of these like, you know, get rich quick type of investments, which are not always the best, but I think some people get excited about that. So it's like, well, if I take this extra money and don't pay this and invest in this, then we'll have like, I'll invest $1,000 and we'll have $10,000 and then everything will be good. And like, it's when you don't understand investments or you don't have the knowledge behind it, it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. No. And anything that sounds too good to be true is too good to be true. There are so many financial scams out there and it's so unfortunate because it does pry on people who are desperate and vulnerable and not knowledgeable. Um, so yeah, please don't fall for any scams. Yeah, that, that's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to tell which one is a scam, but if it sounds too exciting, I, to be honest, finances should be a little bit boring. Like you shouldn't mm -hmm. be quadrupling your money overnight. You shouldn't be turning $1,000 into $10,000 in a month. That is unsustainable and unrealistic. Most of the time, unless you know what you're doing, personal finances is kind of a steady growth. So it's, on average, if we're talking about investing, anywhere between seven and 10% return is the normal average. Um, and yeah, just okay. that's kind of a number you should be aware of. Anything yeah, above, anything that guarantees double digit returns is sketchy. Yeah, okay, that's good to know. That's great advice, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I feel like, you have given me so much information as well as my audience. Can you leave us with where everyone can find you, follow you, work with you, all of those things? Yeah. So I'm on all the social media platforms under ambitious adulting, but my parenting brand, ambitious parenting, which I just started is really focusing on family finances. So we're going to be talking about RESP, children's extracurricular activities, mat leave. So if that's kind of more what you want, ambitious parenting on Instagram. Amazing. And they will be in the show notes as well. So everyone can just click there and find you that way too. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Liz. This, I loved this conversation. I'm definitely going to have to have you back because I think we need to talk RESPs. Like I have so many thoughts now, um, selfishly for my own, um, benefit, but then also I know everyone else is asking the same question. So. Yeah, no, I know I can talk about this all day and that's why I do what I do. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you guys again for tuning into another episode and I'll talk to you next week. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Honest as a Mother podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you.